also taking a trip to Detroit as mm-hmm. well. Um, so thanks for making time for radio in your, your busy, yeah. busy schedule. Um, could you talk a little bit about your latest project, The Volunteers? Maybe this would be a place for us to start. Yeah, great. Um, so The Volunteers is a project, in essence, that is 103 years old. So um, in 1916... Um, it was a really important year in Irish history. Um, it was a point in which uh, we had been under the rule of Britain, uh, the British government, and uh, for quite a period of time. And um, there was a, a cohort of artists and poets and writers um, who began a rebellion and uh, were the leaders of an army. Um, and it was a rebellion that's known as the Easter Rising, so the rebellion that took place in 1916. And it was, this was a, a kind of a, an army that wanted to create an Irish Republic. Um, and there were a group of volunteers. Um, so there were, there were a, a group that saw that, you know, kind of the negativity um, of being oppressed by, you know, kind of uh, a power that wasn't, you know, kind of from our island, from, from our place. Um, so the, volu- uh, the storming of a number of buildings took place. There was a lot of death. Uh, the rising lasted seven days, six days. And each of the, the... So they wrote a proclamation about, you know, kind of who, who Ireland was and what was her future. Um, and each of the seven signatories were killed. Um, they, were, they were gunned down by the army and uh, executed. And following that, um, there was a, an enormous outcry by, you know, kind of the Irish people. And um, it was around the time of the World War and um, a number of people went to, uh, Irish representatives went to England. And over the course of the next couple of years, there was the formation of the Irish Free State. Um, so we gained our independence and, and we got to a republic. But I found... Uh, so kind of fast forward then a hundred years. Um, <laughs> Let's yeah, quite quickly. Um, so we're in 2016, and we as a people are looking back on our history, and we're going, okay, well, how do we honour this? So we're in a centenary. Yeah, we're in a centenary year, and I felt in the lead up to it, and maybe in that year itself, there was a lot of the how it was being remembered was quite surface level there wasn't a whole lot of depth there was a lot of you know kind of parades and and commemorations and but there wasn't you know kind of we weren't getting into the the minds and the the kind of the nuances of of what the rebellion was what drove it yeah the spirit of that exactly and And how it would mean be meaningful now moment now um so the most interesting element that i found that was in the story was the idea of volunteering so those volunteers gave up their life, you know, kind of for the betterment of of us and us as a country. Um, And then I looked at kind of modern Ireland and and the place of volunteerism and where volunteerism is needed. And if you had the the health sector in Ireland and you took out the whole cohort of volunteers that are in it, it would fall apart in 24 hours. Um, And volunteerism is still really incredibly important, but it's not honoured enough in my opinion. Or recognised, yeah. even. Um, it, it's such a, an important uh, factor in, in, you know, kind of the day-to-day running of, of, a, of a community um, and of a nation. So I wanted to look at 
um, kind of social issues where volunteerism and where people and kindness and empathy is needed. So I looked at three areas that, you know, kind of in Ireland at the time. The first was mental health, but looking specifically at stigma and how stigma is the greatest hurdle uh, for people when they are looking for help for their mental health difficulties or illness. So, you know, kind of it is the biggest um, thing that holds people back from seeking help. Because you you might not even want to admit that there's a problem in to even close family or friends. Absolutely, because it's seen as a weakness. Um, You know, kind of if God forbid, if any of us get touched with cancer, you don't have a, you know, you don't have a role in that. that. That that's just a, you know, kind of it happens. It's it's an occurrence, um, and it's the same. You might have a, a chemical imbalance, and that's not your fault. Exactly. Um, and you know, kind of it's seen those those people that do suffer um, are seen as lesser. Um, you know, kind of, and it's lesser within communities, but also you know institutionally because you won't get a mortgage or you know, kind of, if you're out of work. There's certain kind of things that are just within society that that kind of create institutionalized stigma. So I really wanted to uh, create work that that talked about that. Um, And I was lucky enough that I got to make work and put up a piece in the very place um, that the English were based during the rebellion. Uh, And a hundred years, like subsequently, it is now um, a beautiful museum. Um, And I got to use some of the the volunteers at the time, so that the uh, uniform of the armies. So we mixed up, you know, kind of contemporary clothing and, and, and clothing from the past. So it was kind of a hark back to what it meant to be a volunteer and, and then of now. And but a hybridity. So yes, this, this forced blending yeah. to like then subconsciously then the yeah. viewer would be registering this absolutely. in ways. So there was two characters on, on the 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 piece that was installed in Collins Barracks. And there was a beautiful story. Um, I, I met one of the ladies who was in charge of uh, the collection, the, the national collection in, in the museum. And she brought me around and I was really interested in, in the the objects that were associated with that time and with the volunteers. And she brought me upon this belt. And it was a belt, just like a, a leather belt that was worn by an army officer. And on the belt, there was a collection of maybe 15 or 16 different uh, medals or badges. But through her description of the medals, there were Irish medals and British medals and medals from Africa and Australia. And the man that wore the belt was an Irish soldier and then left Ireland and became an English soldier and then moved on through the subsequent wars. But he had badges on his belt from people that had fallen who were on the opposite side. So people that were, you know, kind of not, you know, on his They were the enemy. Yes. But... But not to him. Not to him. Absolutely not to him. He saw the value of the life and the idea, the concept that every life was precious. Um, And that's what we called the piece, Every Life is Precious. And it was, it harked back to the idea of being a volunteer and why you give your time. And it it harked back to the idea that, you know, kind of around stigma. So no matter what presence of mind somebody is in, that that life is a precious life and needs to be taken care of. And we can't look at people on the street or, you know, kind of that are vulnerable 
and see them as lesser. Because if we see them as lesser, we in turn are seeing ourselves as lesser because they are our community and they are us. So it's a, you know, kind of that was the, the idea and the concept of, of being a volunteer. So the next space that I brought the project to is Trinity College. Now, Trinity College is a, an institution, in a, a, you know, kind of like the University of Michigan. It has a history that is 427 years old. The college sits, the university sits right smack bang in the middle of Dublin. Um, and the issue that I wanted to talk on Trinity College was around drug addiction. So uh, addiction has been part of the, you know, kind of the story of of my family. Um, and it was something that I was, you know, kind of quite passionate about. And how we deal with the drug addiction, you know, kind of in contemporary Ireland is we deal with it in the court system. So, you know, you're, you're kind of treated and uh, every uh, interaction with addiction is through the court system or the criminal justice system. And I believe fundamentally that you will not cure addiction inside in a court or in a prison or, you know, kind of in those judicial spaces. You need clinics or community need, spaces. Yeah, it's a health issue. Yeah. Um, so w with the piece, um, we th there was four people that was in, in the piece. We had a senator, Lynn Ruan, a remarkable lady. Um, she come from quite a, um, a tough area in the on the edge of Dublin. Um, you know, kind of dappled in drugs, at, you know, kind of in her early childhood, um, had a baby at 15, had uh, a second child, uh, is a single mother, and then um, became a senator and is one of the most passionate and, you know, kind of amazing ladies that, that you find in government in Ireland. Really good, solid lady. Um, and her name again, Jim? Lynn Ruan. Lynn Ruan. Um, and then there was um, another uh, lady who... who had been who is, is a recovering heroin addict who was in the image. She was the only person that was looking out. Um, so she makes eye contact to you as the viewer. And so why was why did you make that decision? Um, because she needed to be because we often look away um, at addiction on the streets and when we see it um, and we look at the objects that's and the paraphernalia that is associated with addiction rather than looking at the person. And the vast, vast majority of people with an addiction are moving from a place of pain uh, or trauma and they want to, you know, kind of get to a place that is free. Like they don't take those substances or use that, you know, kind of... It, it, they, they want to remove themselves and get to a place of, you know, kind of without pain. Without the suffering. Yeah. Um, and then behind uh, those two figures, uh, so uh, and and do you name her? Is yeah, she oh, yeah. and her name is um, Jo. Uh, oh man, Rachel. <laughs> right. Oh, Rachel with a Rachel K. Kyo. K yes. Kyo. Okay, Rachel yeah. Kyo. Sorry, yeah, 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 yeah. I I should have. I'm said blaming that to Jonathan. You, Jonathan. He was waving out there, and oh, then no. he goes, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, yeah." Um, our studio audience better pipe down. Yeah, <laughs> the one member that's out there. Yeah, um, Rachel is an amazing lady. Um, she was, uh, as a fifteen-year-old, she was uh, injecting heroin, uh, and the injection sites that she had were in her forearms, and she had injected so much that her forearms uh, had began to collapse, collapse, rot. Um, 
and when the internet kind of hit Ireland, uh, her grandmother uh, took a photograph of her and it kind of flew. It was a kind of a, a sensation at the time. Um, but she passionately um, asked for help and asked for a bed uh, where she could get clean, a detox bed. And at the minute, we have approximately 20,000 addicts in Ireland and we have 36 drug treatment beds. So it's, but we fill our jails. But you said 36? 36. But we fill our jails, absolutely. You know, kind of, uh, we have it's a women, similar here. Yeah, we have a women's prison and 90% of those that are in the prison are in there for, you know, kind of misdemeanors, as in, you know, kind of small criminal acts to yes. fund uh, their addiction. So behind the two figures of, of uh, Lynn, the senator, and, 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 and Rachel, who is uh, a recovering addict, we had a nurse, um, Fiona, who has, for the past 25 years, uh, helped those on the streets and has a, a mobile uh, ambulance that travels around Dublin City to, wow. you know, kind of help people that are on the street and, and in, a, in a tough time. Um, and she's grabbing, holding, pulling on to this kind of rigid doctor figure who is the you know kind of the symbol of of the health system that's and, in and the only male figure the in this only particular male because you know kind piece. of he's seen as as uh the leader of the kind of the patriarchy or the old mm. you know kind of health system and here we have you know kind of three young women who want to make ireland a better place and are you know kind of pulling him into the into the scenario. Now, when that piece went up, it went up on, you know, kind of Ireland's, Ireland's leading institution. Uh, I was really worried for Rachel at the time uh, because I didn't know what the public perception would be of the piece. Would she get abuse online? Um, what would the paper say? What would the general public say? Um, so we, we asked her to come offline and, you know, can any contact came through me and we really, really watched what was happening on, you know, standardized media um we had i'd set up at rachel at the time that she was getting extra therapy you know in the lead up to it and if emergency therapy was needed for you know any situation but not one comment came through because there was a there was um a sense of truth in it so you know kind of the general public or you know kind of people who had been coming across um, those that were in trouble saw that it, it, they weren't getting better in the, you know, kind of the courts or in the prisons. So for once, it wasn't a, like a harsh judgment no. that came in no. response. And we were like, we were ready. We had our kind of shields up. We were ready for what was we thought was coming at us. And it never came. And it was such a, like even now I kind of get a bit of a shiver on it because it was such a, you know, kind of an, an important thing. Because maybe the community is changing. Yes, and it is. The and, larger and, and community uh, of the nation. Yeah, Ireland has moved through a, a great place in the last uh, number of years. We had been oppressed by, you know, kind of the English and then we had been led by, you know, kind of the church and we were told that this idea of damnation and, you know, kind of it was quite an oppressive place. But in the last number of years, we've brought in same-sex marriage. We've brought in um, uh, abortion. So uh, the freedom uh, of bodily auton autonomy for, for a woman. Re reproductive rights. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, you know, kind of we're, we're challenging government, you know, kind of about the role of, of uh, the institution of the church in society. 93% of all schools in Ireland are r run and owned by the church. Um, if you're not of that faith, 
you might not get access into that chart, which is ridiculous. Um, so we are we are becoming you know far more progressive in the last number of years. Let's let's Joe, let's take a short break. Oh, yeah. and then we'll come back. We'll come <laughs> yeah, back I'm, I'm... Um, to talk more with Joe Caslin today on Living Writers. I'm T Hetzel. Um, we'll take a short break and and we'll be back. Welcome back. If you're just tuning in, I'm so glad you did. Today on the program, Joe Caslin is here. Um, we're talking about large-scale public art at the moment and uh, Joe's latest project, The Volunteers. Um, and we're to part three now. We've yeah. had um, the the we've had the part that addresses mental health. Um, where is that located? It's on the... Um, Collins Barracks. So it's, Collins uh, Barracks in Dublin, in Dublin though. In okay, Dublin and City. all three pieces are in Dublin yeah. City. So they're working in relationship mm -hmm. too. Mm -hmm. And as people are walking through the city, mm -hmm. there was were the locations key, Joe, for some experience of seeing them in relationship to each other? Or yeah, um, I... Yeah and no. Um, so it's, it's really important. I have garnered a, a type of street art that doesn't impact uh, historical buildings. So all of my um, artwork is made from paper uh, and it's biodegradable, biodegradable. Uh, so everything adhesive. adhesive yeah. So like it's the most Irish thing that you could think of. So <laughs> the glue is made from potatoes. So it's uh, yeah. of course, yeah, of course. <laughs> we, couldn't, we couldn't use anything else. Um, so yeah, it's paper and, and, and potato starch uh, that, that's used to put the pieces up. Um, so they're temporary. And like a lot of the buildings that I, when you think of street art, you think of, you know, kind of uh, interference or you think of, you know, kind of... Undercover of undercover night subversive. because... Yes. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of people, I, I love it because people call the work murials. 
Oh, uh, instead of mural, murals? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you get like, oh, you're the lad that does the murals. And I'm like, oh, mm-hmm. yeah. Maybe it's a new thing, yeah. Joe. <laughs> and then uh, the other thing then is because um, you work with councils um, to get sometimes get permission, you know, because and, and institutions that, that own these sites, they automatically think that it's paint or it's it's spray paint. So you have to spend hours and hours, you know, going through the process of how it goes up but then it's great because I get to put work on buildings that are stunning and and that are held in in deep regard and have historical significance within Ireland so Collins Barracks is like it's this it's a beautiful beautiful space it's a an old army barracks with a limestone uh, walls and uh, a central courtyard and a beautiful archway and then Trinity College is you know kind of the most beautiful institution in the centre, you know, as, as a collection of buildings in the centre of Ireland, in the centre of Dublin. Um, so to get the opportunity to put work on those is is unusual uh, and then also kind of really important. Um, so we were we were talking about kind of stage three of yes. the project, the volunteers. And stage three, um, I consider myself um, a teacher first because I'm a secondary school teacher. So that's my... Nine to five, Monday to Friday, I'm I'm in school. And and you teach art and design. Teach art, yeah. And secondary secondary school, school so from students twelve is, to eighteen. That to me also is interesting because fifteen, like the age of fifteen, mm. also has been something in our short conversation together today. Mm-hmm. Um, Rachel, fifteen, mm-hmm. um, when her grandmother took the photo mm-hmm. of her forearms. Mm-hmm. Um, I think uh, this the now senator, yeah. uh, fifteen when yeah. she had her first yeah. child, and then I think for you personally, Joe, losing students yeah. uh, to suicide was this was the age group they were your students yeah. in secondary school. Yeah. Um, yeah, the kids and you know, kind of ages that age does have a remarkable influence on my work and the, the work that I produce. Um, and being in the classroom and being, you know, kind of every single day working with students of, you know, kind of that age absolutely influences what I do. Um, and in a way, it kind of puts me right at the very, very front um, because these kids are of now. They're of the immediate generation, you know, kind of the art and, you know, kind of of the generation down or the next. So I'm always right on the very, very edge of, you know, kind of where the world is going well you're living with them like yeah. you're you have some access yeah. to the their experience too much sometimes right, right. yeah because <laughs> when you have a collection of you know you can nearly smell the hormones some days in the classroom uh so yeah it's it's and it it influences a lot of what i do so my kind of first bracket of where i consider my, my you know who i am as a teacher my second space is as a, a street artist and then kind of the last bracket that I look at is my sense of activism. So as, a, as an activist. So with the third part of uh, the volunteers project, um, it was around the theme of direct provision. So direct provision is what the system of what, how we deal with immigrants or refugees in Ireland. Um, now, it's, it's a really, really destructive um, method that is used. So for 20 years, uh, direct provision has been the system. Uh, so what we do is those that come to Ireland are seeking, you know, kind of uh, a safe place. Uh, we put them in these um, 
caravans in some cases that are, you know, Arlington Graveyard, you know, that, that mm-hmm. graveyard that's kind of mathematically set out. Yes. So we have these caravans, mobile homes, and they're all set out like that. And we have we put people into those for, you know, up on 10, 12, 13 years. Is it one there. area of Ireland so, that has this no, sort it's, of it's, system in uh, place? It's, it's throughout Ireland uh, and it's in a lot of our major towns and cities. But imagine if you have a town, it's always on the very edge is where we we, you know, kind of place or, or kind of create a space for, for those that are in need. Uh, it's always at the wrong side of the tracks or uh, some space that's disused or someplace that's fenced off. Um, and mm. they're left there while they're sometimes their their application processes goes into decades um, and they're they're not allowed work, you know, kind of. Right. They're, they're never allowed to, you know, kind of integrate with with society. We have piranhas then that come along and, you know, kind of stalk out and stake out those spaces, you know, kind to of... To prey upon the people because of their the, vulnerability. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, and when you have nothing, you know, you'll do anything to, you know, kind of survive. And um, also feel to feel that you're contributing in some way, yeah. like to have some action yeah. rather than boredom or a feeling of non-usefulness. It's actually, you know, kind of a sense of being in an open prison. So you're not allowed Mm. to engage with the society you're in. You're given a space. You come from a country where you can't get access to that food. You're not allowed to cook in your home because you don't, you're not given cooking facilities. You're fed these kind of plastic meals that come in every single day. Uh, Young children that are in those spaces can't bring their friends back. There's curfews. there was a, a woman recently whose child was sick and she wanted water and she was forbidden to give him, to give the child water from like a, it was 12 o'clock at night and her child had a fever and she wasn't allowed to get access for, for to water until eight o'clock the next morning. And then her child had to be brought in an ambulance to an A&E facility. Dehydration. Because it was, you know, it was shocking. But my, uh, how I came upon direct provision was through school. So I had been teaching two young boys who had, you know, kind of been in education uh, and a young boy in particular, Nanso Mujeke, um, who was 14. And the government, after living in Ireland for 11 and a half years, decided to give him a deportation order. So they wanted to send him back to Nigeria, a place that they called his home. Which he had no, not a clue. probably not any memories Doesn't, even. Uh, maybe some. His mum left, his, his mum, his dad died. Uh, his mum, as the culture is over there, became the property of her, her brother-in-law. That was a, uh, you know, she wasn't treated, in, and use your imagination that was there, um, treated horrifically. So she left, she ran, and she brought her two boys with her. And she eked out a living in Ireland. Uh, she uh, got a job undocumented, didn't get any kind of, you know, funding from the state at all. Uh, has two remarkable boys, one that got into college, the other boy at 14 was, you know, he could speak better Irish than I can. Um, <laughs> so then this letter arrived um, and they wanted to send him back. And we were like, can you say a f- on this? No. Because <laughs> I'm... <laughs> That's mark, mark the time, Gina. We'll we'll ask Frank for that one. <laughs> yes, it's okay, but it's a taping. Um, okay. Our dear sorry, friend, Frank. Dear, dear friend Frank will take okay. this out. Thank you, Frank. Okay. So, um, sorry. but anyway, back into yeah. the moment. Um, so um, the deportation letter came, um, and we as a as a group that was in the school, we were like, we're not losing this kid. We're not we're not letting him go. Um, so 
as a, a collection of kids, uh, fourteen-year-old kids, they started to rally. They got, uh, they collected mm-hmm. twenty-two thousand signatories for on a petition. Uh, we went to the doors of. Uh, and this is out of a community of how many too? Like, how were the kids, or were the kids maybe, collecting them across the the country? Across as well, the country, like, but it was in a town of maybe thirty thousand. See, that's that matters, yeah. doesn't it? Yeah. Um, we had kids. They they printed up this big, huge sign that was like eight foot by four foot and uh, walked to all the businesses in town, pulled out the people that owned the businesses, asked them to stand in front of the sign, save Nanso, and made them put it up on their social media, you know, kind of. Uh, business owners. So business go owners. to the, yeah. like the, the engine, yeah. the financial engine. Absolutely. <laughs> Commerce. So, and, and it was led by... Because that motivates politicians. Yes. It, and it was led by kids. You know, yes. when, when a kid comes and says what you're doing is wrong and it is wrong, Right, you have, you cannot come back on that. Yes. Like you, you know, it's it, it's disgraceful. And kids were bringing this story home to their parents. Uh, the minister of of justice, who was in charge of this um, this um, decision, he lives in a community that's maybe a twenty minute drive from Tullamore. But there was people that he was meeting in his day to day life that were going, "What you are doing to that child is disgraceful." And you're the um, minister of justice. Yeah. Yeah. Justice. So you have an opportunity to, to change. This is the value of stories. Yeah. Like getting his story out yeah. to people yeah. to be able to have them change their thinking. So then after the, the signatories got, uh, you know, kind of to such a level, um, our national, you know, TV station, the, the main news that's watched by, you know, kind of 50% of the population RTE? every night, RTE, uh, one of the, the education correspondents came down and she did a piece on it. Um, and we went to the doors of, of Parliament and uh, I met the minister at the time, met, you know, kind of the leader, uh, the prime minister, the Taoiseach of Ireland and appealed to him. Uh, and I had met a lot of these people and like Lynn was a, Lynn Ruan at the time who was a senator, was a, a huge uh, way into the government buildings. Um, and over the course of the last number of years, I've been lucky enough that I've met people. Um, I was... Uh, I came across the the president of Ireland at, a, at an event in the year beforehand. So he opened up the piece that was in Collins Barracks. So uh, he had given his private secretary, had given me her, her card and I was always going to hold it back and use it for personal gain. But I rang up and I says, here, can you do me a favour? Can you do this? Because that was more important than any success that I would have. So after that's maybe, good of you. I don't believe you would have used it for personal gain, actually, mm, Joe. Yeah, yeah. I think it was always going to be something that was going to be the right thing to do. Yeah. Um. So, uh, yeah. After after, at this point as well as an artist, I was I I had decided uh, I, I picked a location. I knew that I was going to do a drawing of Nanso. It was you know kind of in the process of of getting made because that was my card, my lead card. Um, if I, you know, kind of, so I was going to kind of play that. But then, quite out of the blue, um, the deportation order was quashed and we won. And uh, the kids who began the campaign um, were successful. Um, and we got to keep a boy and his mum and brother who are a fundamental part of, of, of our community. community. Yeah. Um, and he's now, you know, kind of, I only got an email from him yesterday about schoolwork. So he's, <laughs> you know, kind of, he's... He's back to real life. Back to real life. <laughs> but the, but these kids changed something. Yeah. They saw the power of their voices Absolutely. in coming together, yeah. Yeah. and they were able to make something Change. happen yeah. for this 
friend, yeah. this person they yeah, know in their community. Yeah. It was, it was it's, remarkable. It's empowering mm. to even hear the story. Mm. I get chills. Mm. It, and it's, it, there's a great little ending. Uh, they got a, an award for the Red Cross Award for, you know, kind of youth leadership. Mm-hmm. And then we, we have a, a subject in Ireland called civic, social, political education. It's a, a subject that the kids have to learn. Um, and this year they brought out a new book and Nonso Story is in it. So the very story that began and ended in our school is now being taught right in every school. In, in every school. Yeah. I love it, Joe. Mm. I love it. Today on Living Writers, Joe Caslin. We'll take a short break and we'll be back. You're listening to Living Writers. I'm T. Hetzel. It's not the waking, it's the light. It is the grounding of a foot on not for going of the lights, not the opening of eyes, it's not the waking, it's the rise, it's not the shade we should be past, it's the light and it's the obstacle that casts it, it's the heat that drives the light, it's the fire it ignites, it's not the waking, it's the rise, it's not the sun. Welcome back. If you're just tuning in, I'm so glad you're joining us today. Joe Caslin is here. Uh, we've been talking about his his last large scale uh, artwork, street art, the volunteers. Um, and now let's talk a little bit about the music. Thanks for choosing songs for today's program, Joe. Yeah. What did we just hear? Um, that's a song uh, called Nina Cried Power um, by a remarkable Irish uh, singer and songwriter um, called Hosier. Um he shot to fame with a, a, a song, uh, Take Me to Church, maybe about two or three years ago. Um, so that song that we've just heard is a song about um, social equality in a way and kind of rebels within society that have strived for a sense of equality and, and you know, kind of to make spaces better. So, you know, kind of... The very best heroes, I think. Yeah. And even the song, you know, kind of Nina Cried Power. So that was, a, you know, kind of 
Nina Simone. It was, you know, kind of the work that she did as an activist. It was, you know, kind of incredible. And there's a lot of, you know, kind of artists that are spoken and, and um, highlighted in this song. Um, so one evening I got a, a message came through and it was uh, Andrew, so Hosier's uh, management. They wanted to, they wanted me in the video of this music video and it was going to be the lead song in his new album. It was going to go worldwide. And I was like going, whoa, why am I in this? So they had decided for the music video that they were going to project um, images of, of, you know, kind of social activists and leaders in, in Ireland um, and highlight the work that they have done. So, um, so you qualify, Joe. Yeah. <laughs> you do. <too. Yeah. laughs> and uh, the lyric uh, that was, that, that, uh, that I'm seeing in, in the in the part of the the music video is it's not the wall but what's behind it, so it's you know kind of talking about you know it can be any wall but it's the meaning of the image or the the artwork that's on the wall that's that's really important. Now Ireland, contemporary Ireland, has gone through remarkable change in the last five years. So we have brought in two referendum. So when our constitution needs to be changed, we have to ask every person in Ireland, do they accept that change? So it has to be go out to a public vote. And in 2015, we had a, a public vote, a referendum on same sex marriage. Um, so we asked the people of Ireland, do they believe that love is equal um, to everybody? Um, and thankfully, uh, it was voted yes. Um, and only just over a year ago, we asked the people of Ireland, uh, should women have control of their reproductive rights? Um, and after, a, you know, kind of uh, a lot of talk and a lot of kind of, you know, kind of deep reflection, uh, we as a people voted yes again. And art played, street art in particular, played, in my opinion, a remarkable role in both of those referendums. So uh, one of my mates, Mazer, um, painted a piece, uh, Repeal the Eighth. So it was the Eighth Amendment. And so this is for uh, reproduction rights, abortion rights. Um, and he painted this piece with a, a heart and it just said Repeal the Eighth. Um, and it, it became the lead image, political. So it, and it, it became, it was immortalised as the image or the, the artwork for that referendum and for the campaign. But previous to that, in 2015, uh, I had created an artwork. Um, the Clada Embrace. The Clada Embrace. Um, and it was in uh, one of the main intersections in, in Dublin City, one of the busiest thoroughfares in, in Dublin, uh, and right across from Ireland's, you know, kind of most famous uh, gay bar, the George, uh, on a gable end of a wall that was bare, uh, I decided I was going to put up a drawing of two young men in an embrace. Um, and the idea of the drawing came through through school. Um, I was teaching uh, the students uh, about Ireland's most famous painting, Meet the Meeting on the Turret Stairs. Um, it's by a, an artist called Fred, Frederick William Burton. Um, and it's a, an old Danish ballad. Uh, it's two lovers, uh, a, a man and a woman, who are in uh, a spiral staircase, an old turret uh, from, you know, kind of the 1500s. Um, and it's their last embrace. So 
before there's a horrible ending. They all die in the end of the, that ballad. Okay. Um, but it's the <laughs> As some ballads go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so in, in the, the image, uh, you get to see this princess and she's on a higher step uh, than her bodyguard, who she's in, you know, in love with, who, who she wants to continue and lead her life with. Um, he's on a lower standing because he's of a lower social standing than, than she is. And the higher power, who is the king at the time, forbade that love from taking place because of their social standing. So here was the perfect analogy from what was happening in Ireland at the time. The higher power, who was the state, was forbidding that love from, that union from taking place. So I use that as the kind of the, the start off point for, for the drawing. Um, and, you know, kind of use that analogy to tell the story of modern Ireland. There's, there's a lot of research that goes Massive. into yeah, these Yeah, so I went into the and National and Gallery and researched the artist and I got to get into the, their collection that was, you know, kind of closed off. And the irony of that piece is uh, that the piece is that painting meeting on the third stairs. It's a watercolour and it's held behind a closet. Like it's the, the, the gayest thing that it's painting could happen. <laughs> Uh, and the closet is opened uh, twice a week, only for a couple of hours, um, just to protect it, uh, to oh. pre protect it from, from damage. So it was uh, like a nice little story that's in it as well. And then uh, one of the boys has a, is wearing a cladder ring. And the cladder ring is, uh, you know, kind of, it's an image that is absolutely associated with Ireland. So if you go to the west of Ireland or Galway, you're going to be confronted with that. It's a, it's a kind of a, a, an image or a, an object that's associated with it's a the huge, history of Ireland. And a huge symbol of love. If yes. the heart is... If the heart is turned in to your heart, uh, it means that, you know, kind of your love is, is taken. So here are these two boys holding on to each other and you can see that one of the boys is holding, has the ring on. But the story is even deeper about that ring than just the love of, of each other. Um, Barry, who is uh, one of the lads that's in that uh, drawing, his uh, dad passed away in the, the months earlier on, you know, kind of that year. Um, but Barry had told him, Barry, you know, was out to his, to his dad and he was fine with that. Um, that ring, that cladder ring was owned by his dad and his mum bought it and his dad passed it on to him, um, you know, kind of as a as an heirloom, as a, you know, kind of a thing. Uh, he was happy with who he was and he said, you know, kind of your love, he saw his love as, as equal. So it was really powerful that, you know, kind of Barry got wore that at that time. And it it wasn't planned. So Barry wearing that ring was never planned. It just happened on the day he arrived in. But it's one of the things that when you see the 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 mural yeah um that's one of the things your eye is drawn to yeah, because yeah. it's it's quite center isn't yes, it that ring yeah. um yes it, it, it's placed and and a lot of the drawings a lot of the images that i create they're not just flat as in images there's lots of different entry points you know kind of into those those images um because we don't the idea of metaphor or kind of, you know, metaphors are more visible to those that are othered in the community. So if you're, you know, kind of white and male and kind of live in a perfect patriarchal society, you don't need to see the nuance of metaphor because life is just as you expect. You get up in the morning, this is what happens. But if you're othered or kind of part of a different community, things aren't always as they seem. You have to look for, you know, kind of hidden meanings. Um, or, or things that are the, the things you're able to connect to. Yes, like absolutely. Like this is a space for me or yeah. this is an entry point for yes. me. Yes. So, you know, kind of 
uh, like the pet shop boys that was earlier, um, some people would have just seen as or heard that as a as a song that was just a, a great song, but you know, kind of who I am, I got to see it as maybe somebody that might be part of the LGBTI community. You're kind of looking for those hidden little things, you know, that that's in existence uh, to see can that be reflected in who you are as a person. So, yeah, it was it, it's really important that I accentuate and add in lots of levels into the, the drawings and into the stories so that people, you know, kind of that aren't just sit perfectly in this kind of established society the people that are on the fringes can find you know kind of their themselves reflected in the work and ways in to Mm. be part of yeah let's take a short break and when we come back more today with joe caslin i'm t hetzel you've got living writers and we'll be back on the day walk away because there's sense in what i say i'm 45th generation roman but i don't know or care when i'm spitting so return to your sitting position and listen it's fitting and i'm miles ahead and they chase me show your face on tv then we'll see you can't do half my crew laughs at your rhubarb and custard verses you rain down curses but i'm waving your hearses driving by streets riding high with the beats in the sky all stare eyes glazed garage burned down the fire raged for 40 days and in 40 ways but through the blaze they see it fade the sea of black the beaming heat on their faces then a figure emerges from the wastage eyes transfixed with a piercing gaze one hand clutching his sword raised to the sky they wonder how they wonder why the sky turns white it all becomes clear they felt lifted from their fears they shed tears in the light after six dark years. Young, bold soldiers. The fire burns, cracks and smoulders. Five years older and wiser. The fires are burning on fire, never tire. Slay warriors in the forests and on higher. We sing, hear the strings rising. The war's over, the bells ring. Memories fading, soldiers slaying. Looks like geezers raving. The hazy fog over the bull ring. The lazy ways the birds sing. A new baby's born every day. Few men may be scorned today, but look at things the other way, because it may well be your final day. And then the- Welcome back. You've got Living Writers. I'm T. Hetzel. Today, Joe Caslin is here in the studio. Joe, thanks so much for coming down to talk today. It's It's been absolutely lovely. Um, and thank you also for making, like, being out in the world, in the public sphere, making these large-scale art pieces that cause people to see something differently or come into contact some, with something, maybe even talk with who they're with mm-hmm. if they're out in a public space, mm-hmm. because it's something about these being in a public space, these art pieces, mm-hmm. these large scale murals, mm-hmm. um, that they're not, they're not in a gallery. They're not in, in an art museum's closet mm-hmm. open two days a week, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. It's something that's part of the community. Mm-hmm. It's, 
and that's a role that that street art can do that changes how people think and feel yeah you don't it, there's a street art by you know kind of its place um is not it doesn't enter the class system in a way so you can be kind of from the upper class you'll be confronted by it you can be from the lowest class possible you'll be confronted by it um because we you know kind of as you hinted about with the idea of galleries sometimes they are spaces where you know kind of you know kind of the lower levels or the lower classes don't often see themselves reflected um and that's that's really important uh, i did a, a a lovely project in the national gallery recently and uh, they acquired um, a project that I'd done called Finding Power. And it was the first time a little person is visible in their collection. The first time uh, a drag artist is in their collection. The first time a, a refugee is now, you know, visible and in our collection, the state's collection. So that's really important that those places are now being altered. But those places are being altered because of what's happening on the street um, and kind of, you know, the power of, of street art. Um, and when you put up a piece, Joe, mm. you also, you observe, mm. there's times like when I was listening to pieces about you, where you actually are, are listening and watching what the response is yeah. Yeah. by people who are walking by and stopping. Yeah. And that's because it's a lonely, you come up with the idea and you nurture it and you mind it. And sometimes these projects, uh, the piece that was put up in, in Trinity College was a project that was 18 months long. So you're, it's like this, you know, the gestation period of, of an elephant, you know, like you're, you're minding it for such a long time. And you're so in it. Yeah. And then, you know, it goes up on the wall. And like I say that, like it's such a throwaway thing. It's an effort. Like, Well, you're getting a cherry picker. You're yeah. renting a cherry picker. It seems yeah. like, yeah, the and process the, the of it. The biggest pieces. So imagine, crazy. imagine, uh, the, you know, the, the football team and, you know, the pitch that's out there. Um, so the biggest piece that we did was the size of the football pitch. So imagine, imagine wallpapering a football pitch that <laughs> is seven stories in the air right. and you can only do, you know, kind of uh, a meter at a time or, a, you know, kind of two foot of a, of a roll at a time. And it's lashing rain and the wind is curling around the building and oftentimes it's freezing. Ireland, we don't have, our, the weather has been kind of like what you have here the last couple of days. So it's not necessarily the greatest and most pleasurable, pla pleasurable place to be on the side of a building putting it up. So, but when it's up, it's up. Uh, and you get to sit with people as, as they see it for the first time. And sometimes I'll sit as, when the drawing is up and just kind of look up and see how I'm getting on. And then I'll leave. And oftentimes I never go back to the drawing because I'm in the process of making another project that, you know, mm -hmm. kind of it, 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 there's always another little baby to be kind of minded and they are all at different, you know, kind of gestation periods as well. So and then, too, you get sick of it, you know, like the minute you're like when it goes on the wall, it's that release and I don't own it anymore. You know, it's for it's for the community. It's there, you know, kind of they take ownership of it. It's there. They get to mind it. And, and do as they please with it. And some, you know, kind of are really maintained, like the piece, uh, the equality piece. Um, I put up that piece and walked away. And then... Uh, in, 2015, in 2015, the Clada Embrace, the Clada Embrace that yeah. then became the image... Of the referendum. So we have this, uh, we call her the Queen of Ireland. Panty Bliss is her name. She's a, a drag queen. <laughs> 
Um, and she is, you know, a remarkable lady and a remarkable character in, in New Ireland. Um, and she took a photograph of it and within 24 hours there was a million clicks, there was a million interactions. Uh, the piece I was doing interviews for Al Jazeera, you know, uh, the Middle Eastern, you know, kind of news site. Um, the piece, the, the drawing ended up on the, the front page of the International New York Times. It was every time there was an article or there was something said, even, you know, from the BBC to any, you know, kind of news media throughout, you know, kind of the world. It, it, that drawing literally flashed around the world in a, in a period of weeks. Um, and that was remarkable. And it only lasted for 17 days. It was on the wall for just 17 days. Um, and a couple of years ago, maybe two years ago, it was voted uh, one of Ireland's most influential pieces of the last decade. And it was there for 17 days. Just. But the image continues to reverberate because mm -hmm. even now, if the referendum mm -hmm. is referred to, this mm -hmm. would be probably one of the most likely yeah. images that yeah. would accompany a piece or, even, even or a, there was talk a or You know, on your inbox, you, you kind of get flagged by Google whenever your name is put on the Internet. So 10 days ago, that image was, you know, kind of back out. It was kind of back in, in the the space of being, you know, kind of used again because it's it, there's a power that's in it. And I don't own that. You know what I mean? I, I put the drawing up and it was a drawing about love. Uh, it was quite simple. It was two young men who were in love. Um, and the reason it became powerful was because people saw themselves or their family or their friends reflected in that image. And I didn't own that power. I didn't add that. Uh, I didn't give it to the drawing. I knew, you know, kind of there was a want or, or people wanted to kind of discuss it. But it was it, it was the, the population of Dublin that kind of gave it its power, which was brilliant. But you gave it its moment mm. because of where it also was placed. Mm. And I think the scale of it, bringing that story into the visual yeah. realm and of it's the not, community it's not so a they piece could of, feel something about yeah. it. And it, it's not a piece of advertisement. So there's no, yes. there's no words on it. So the minute you put a word on something, you're telling someone how to think. So like all advertisement, you're selling something, you're telling someone how to think. Mm. And it's not. It was a piece of art. It didn't even say love. It said nothing. Right. You, you, you could walk by it and see nothing or you could walk by it as some people did, you know, and, and recreated the pose or, or cried. Um, so, yeah, there's some remarkable stories that, that came from that piece. And I would, would wager remarkable conversations, too, mm -hmm. where people, it got them thinking and feeling or feeling and then maybe thinking. Yes. And, and that's uh, that is constant throughout the work that I do. So whether it is on I did some work on consent recently. Um, whether it is on drug addiction or suicide or the struggle of, of power or um, you know, and there's there's a quite a large breadth of of social awareness issues or, or kind of things that I want people to talk about but for the, modern Ireland and the world. Yes, yeah. So it, it starts off, you know, kind of for me within my social circle and my family, and then that is echoed in my community, and then that's echoed in my country, and then that's echoed worldwide. And I think if you, if you bring it down to quite a simple individual thing then it can has, you know, has the opportunity to get, you know, kind of out of that larger space. But throughout all of these subjects and all of these themes, the main thing that links them all together is the sense of empathy. So you as a human can stand in the shoes of somebody that is 
part of the LGBTI community that is disabled, that has been raped, that has been, you know, kind of institutionalized through their mental illness. So all of, you know, kind of those images allow you to stand in those shoes for a short period of time or see, you know, kind of the people that is in your world um, reflected in those drawings. And that's a, a great place to be. And it's it's a lovely place to be as an artist that there is a population. You live in a country where you're valued and when there is important and big questions to be discussed and, you know, kind of powerful conversations to be had that art and street art has a place is, is, is you know, kind of really remarkable. We're not going to look away. Mm. No. No. You can't. You can't. <laughs> you can't. It's... Uh... Um, I think on the volunteer site currently, we will be fierce in our compassion and believe. Mm. Yeah, that was a that was a great piece that was written by um, a poet that I've been working with, Aaron Fornoff, and it just kind of captured that essence of, you know, kind of we need to fight and we need to fight together for us to be together, successful together. Thank you, Joe Caslin. Come back anytime. <laughs> Thanks. Cheers. <laughs> Cheers. Thanks, everyone, for listening out there. Thanks to Jonathan, our studio audience. Thanks to Gina for making us sound good. Thanks to Frank for post-production. To George Cooper for the theme. I'm T. Hetzel. Until next time. I'm going to humiliate you one more time. My pleasure. I better start talking about my family first, I guess. This is WCBN FM Ann Arbor. Classical rock, the true paradox. Nice guy. Ross, you're a really nice person. I tried. Ross from Jersey. Oh my God, Joker! Get out of here! You know the Mike Francesa jokes? All right. I have a crazy list.
Welcome, everyone. This is 88.3 WCBN FM Ann Arbor and live from the University of Michigan Student Activities Building, Studio A. This is the Michigan Daily Sports Report. Welcome, everyone. My name is Ross Kaufman, and I'll be your host this afternoon. We got a full half hour in front of us to talk sports. Sports and all things sports. I'd like to introduce you all to our four panelists for today. Tonight we got Charlie Brigham, Gretel Payne, Zach Corson, and Andy Laidlaw. How are you guys doing tonight? Staying warm? Doing well, baby. I all like right. the energy you brought today, Ross. Yeah, you're, that's you're what all I do. Over the place, man. I, you got this place all hyped up. I don't, like I don't let no brick I don't wall let right no, now, baby. I don't let no snow get to me. No, you know? yeah, no, no, no. Yeah, we're we're Michiganders s- now. We're supposed to get used exactly. to the cold. You know, it's my third year here. I'm I'm accustomed to the weather now. You know, complains about the cold. I swear to God, I'm gonna throw a fit every time I hear. It's now, so cold. I've like grown up in the, the cold weather. my whole life, but you Michigan instaters, I, I got to <laughs> give you props. I mean, how you've done it for over 20 years with the blizzards and the nonstop. I mean, bless you. The only so. thing I don't like is the ice. I can uh, deal with yeah. the cold, I can deal with the snow, but walking around in no snow boots and slipping... Oh, the ice is the best part, just totally. watching people just... Yeah, yeah but just I'm the person it. that last, falls. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if you guys were here. Were you here last year, Gretel? No. Okay. Oh, well, yeah. No, not at Michigan, for the polar vortex. Only for the first semester. I was going to say, the polar vortex last year. I wasn't for the polar year, vortex. Literally, there were like a two or three day span. It was actually during the Michigan-Minnesota basketball game where you could have brought all ice skates on the sidewalks <laughs> and on the roads and you would have been totally fine. Like, it was like an inch of ice. And people, I, I heard like sirens going off. Like, oh, yeah, I brought my ice skates heads. to the game. Like, I, I didn't nuts. I wore my ice skates at the game. I did not wear <laughs> yeah. sneakers. I skated into the arena and I skated out. I mean, that was... That was some weather conditions. How I got back to my apartment safely that night, nice. unscratched. Solid. I don't know. It's 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 Michigan though. I mean, it's you get used to it. Like the snow, snows whatever. Snow is pretty cool until Christmas, and then once Christmas passes, you're like, all right, this kind of sucks. Yeah, but, pretty much. But yeah, like the the snow sucks, the cold sucks, but it's the wind. It's the wind that's mm. gonna. You guys can be like, all right, this sucks. Like, well, the this isn't the Weather Channel. Is this is the Daily cold. Sports that's Report. So I'd realize. like to get like get on 